0: You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource.
1: Oftentimes, we think the challenges we're facing here in America are unique to us. On today's show, I'll be interviewing two Canadian real estate investors to compare notes and find out what's going on in the Canadian real estate market and compare it to what's going on here in the US. I'm Kathy Fedke. Thanks for joining me here on The Real Well Show. Daniel Falk is a real estate broker working in the real estate industry for over 15 years. He's been featured in The Wall Street Journal, CBC, BNN Bloomberg, The Globe and Mail, and many others. Nick Hill is a real estate investor, podcast host, and mortgage agent. And they're here with us today on The Real Wealth Show. So Daniel, welcome to The Real Wealth Show.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: So I'm curious about Canadian real estate and U.S. real estate. Do you guys invest in the US? I
2: mean- um, we haven't yet, but it's it's definitely on the list of things to do. And I know the crazy part is like yields are so low in Canadian real estate and prices are so high that you're starting to see a, a bigger and bigger demand for Canadian capital going down to US markets. It's probably other than investing outside of the province of Ontario, uh, it's probably the biggest question that we get asked on the podcast. So one of the big reasons we've wanted to, to get on a lot of US real estate podcasts is Trying to meet people and build a network of professionals who can help Canadians buy in different markets across the u s. because you know the, the the rates of return on investment there are significantly better, and the the prices are are much more compelling than Canadian real estate
1: and welcome back, Nick. Good Thank to see you. you, yeah. I mean, that's that's been our experience as a lot of Canadians coming to the u s. to to buy and through the real wealth network. I remember visiting Vancouver and just being absolutely shocked at the prices yeah. uh, of real estate there, and wondering how, first of all, anybody could afford it, or how you could make cash flow, or uh, you know, how, so how does that work? Are you able to find cash flow
2: in? The yeah, big cities? you can. You can find cash flow in select markets, but you know, your your major, I would say, save for Calgary, and even Calgary, I think, is probably like we would say. Over or anything under, probably a five and a half percent cap rate right now, I think isn't going to cash flow. Calgary's probably below that now. So, yeah, it's, cash flow is tough. A lot of people get by or did get by for the past 20 years in Canadian real estate on speculation, right? Values increasing. And, you know, we all knew how that ended in, in the US in 07, 08. Um, we're kind of going through that, that corrective period right now in Canadian real estate. Um, in smaller cities and in rural Canada and in certain markets, you're definitely seeing you, you can find um, cash flow, but it's nothing like what's available in, in U.S. markets. Um, I mean, probably a really what I would call a really compelling market, like Cornwall, Ontario, is a place that we invest a lot. Northern Ontario, uh, certain the two cities in Saskatchewan, I would say, were probably going to be some of the best cash flowing areas. Um, even those, you're probably buying in a seven to nine percent cap rate. So it's pretty pretty rare that you see over 10% like you would see in in a lot of places in the States.
1: Well it's hard to get 10% in the States. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. We used to we used to 10 years ago, but it's it's definitely more of a challenge on the cash flow side. Obviously if you buy a distressed property and fix it up, you'll get some appreciation there or, or a forced appreciation. So, what is the strategy then in Canada? Like you said, it's been more speculative buying something with the hopes that it will go up in value.
2: Yeah, that. And I think forced appreciation or, you know, add value, I think is, is probably, and probably the next phase of our, uh, our growth cycle in Canada is going to be adding units, I think, like m- multiplexing, doing small multiplexes. We have a new bill and let's assume like Ontario, most people in, in Canada, In the investment scope are are looking in Ontario. So Ontario province wide is going to have something called Bill 23, which basically will allow you to multiplex any property in the province of Ontario as long as it's within the existing house. Because we have a, a severe housing crisis in Canada. And, and so, you know, maybe think U.S. when you guys were going through massive periods of immigration kind of earlier in the housing cycle. That's kind of where Canada is at right now. We just hit a new immigration record. Population growth uh, is at two point seven percent, and we don't have a housing. uh, We have a government who really just hasn't put a proper housing plan in in place for the country. So you have this excess demand for housing. You have that in the states as well. I think you have more people than houses for them to live in. Uh, Canada, you know that you could just imagine that phenomena and increase it by by two to three times. And so that pushes rents up, which is your income portion of, of the investment, but it also pushes up the value of, a, of an additional suite. So I think probably a lot of missing middle development and a lot of infill and small meaningful increases to density is what the next opportunity is in the Canadian market.
1: So do you think it's an issue of a lack of building or is your country growing? Is the population growing or is it speculative? I know so many Chinese investors and international investors were buying in Canada,
2: yeah, I think it's it's probably all of them, so we've actually banned uh foreign ownership for the past or for the next two years, so that probably is is a bit of a demand headwind, and it seems to be a lot of people young people especially trying to hop back into the housing market, taking that kind of as a breath of fresh air so let's say if you were to get rid of the foreign ownership portion, which I don't I think it was like three to five percent of the market at peak. So I think there's that I think that there's you know record I th- I think the big problem for me was interest rates were decreasing for 40 years right so that's yeah. going to that's going to play a role um I think a lot of it is immigration which is um federal program and and basically we we immigrated 1 million people last year our population grew by 1 million people last year so m- massive immigration is a component but I think it's not so much building the houses. I think that's another bottleneck. But it's our planning environment hasn't like we don't like it's not like you know in certain places in the U.S. As long as you have building or as long as you have engineered drawings, you can go and build what what you want to build. Um, there's just so much bureaucracy and municipal government and zoning and bylaws and entitlements that it's just been cost prohibitive and time prohibitive for for landlords or developers to want to add units. And I think we're kind of get, finally getting through that right now. So I think that it'll, that should unlock a new phase of supply in the future.
0: Yeah. The, the only issue to add to that would be, um, you know, Kathy, with your, with your comment on what is the actual issue? Well, we don't have enough homes, but if we go further back, we don't have enough people to actually build those homes. And I know that you guys are experiencing the same thing, a major skilled trades and, uh, skilled labor shortage, right? Plumbers, electricians break layers, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And those people are pretty vital to to build the homes that we desperately need. So, you know, Dan's hit the nail on the head there. There's there's so much red tape when it comes to legislation. There's increased development costs. But, you know, there there seems to be a different issues arising every step of the way, which which can get quite annoying.
1: (laughs) Well, especially when, you know, new housing is so needed and, and it's so difficult to build. But then there's always the, the resources problem. Is there enough water for the new development? Are there enough roads for new development? Um, that's why I was curious if Canada's population is growing or slowing. Like in the U.S., our, our population growth is slowing, but we're still growing as a country. And I, I think in the U.S., we have a, a large youth population. We, we are replacing ourselves for the most part. Um, is that the case in Canada?
2: Yeah. So our, our birth rate is at a record low. So our natural population mm-hmm. growth is not what's causing our population to grow. It's it's almost exclusively driven by immigration. I think the challenge with that is exactly what you're describing. Like It does put excess pressure on infrastructure, on retail services, on commercial services, on roads, on water, on sewer, especially when you're trying to see the rapid urbanization of a population as well. Um, and I, I honestly think we're underprepared and i think that you just have a disjointed government system where the federal government regulates immigration the provincial governments uh immigrate a lot of the infrastructure and then municipal governments are in control of land use and so and they don't really communicate with one another exceptionally well and so i think you know if you look back at housing cycles in canada and and any country really you know you know in 89 i think both canadian and us real estate peaked and it kind of there was a um, recessionary period during the 90s, Canada got it a lot worse than the US. Immigration in Canada, that was the last time we set a, a population growth record. So 1.81%, <laughs> let's say, year over year growth. And we just broke that last year. Once you hit that that point, afterwards, that number just tr- kept dropping for four or five years until the economy recovered. And it's because... like. People, who want, they want to move to places that have good economies. They want to move to places where they can afford housing. And right now in Canada, we have neither of those things. We just saw our first quarter of likely recession. We had negative uh, real GDP growth last quarter, 0% growth. And we're likely going to see another one. So if you're in recession and you still have record um, unaffordable housing, I can't see how they expect to sustain this population growth through immigration.
1: Interesting. What about the differences between loans and and banks and lending
2: uh, Canada versus the U.S.? Do you guys have the thirty-year fixed rate? We wish. I wish nobody. you can't <laughs> find anybody to buy uh, Canadian mortgage bonds in uh, for thirty-year increments. I mean, I think America is pretty much the only place on earth that can can do can do that because there's so much demand for U.S. dollar-backed bonds, right? I think France has a fifteen. Canada, we we have ten-year rate holds, but not thirties. No. So. <laughs> Right now we kind of have this ticking time bomb where if you were to assume everybody's on a five year mortgage term, which is the most common, everybody still has to renew at higher rates. Like we haven't even seen the half of, of the pain that we're gonna get as a result of increased interest rates.
0: Yeah, we were uh it's funny, we were actually on a on a Twitter space that, that Dan hosts uh weekly on Thursday nights with uh with actually lucky enough Grant Cardone joined and a bunch of other uh American real estate investors and when this conversation came up, they're like, "Oh, well, you guys will be fine. Just lock it into you know longer terms." And then we were like, "Well, we we actually don't have those. We you know the most standards a five year fix." And they all broke out laughing and are like, "Oh, you guys are effed, blah blah blah." And it was not the You're it was not, not the response you wanted to hear. <laughs> That's not
2: helpful. It was not helpful.
0: Yeah. No, it was uh, it was a little bit concerning. Yeah.
2: it's like, yeah, didn't you guys learn anything from us in two thousand seven? And so it be, basically everybody like we have that kind of same boiling point where you've had people um, you know, levering up, borrowing against their equity and getting into rates. And then you have this, like this wall ahead of us, similar to adjustable rate mortgages that were in the U S our entire market is on that stuff. So scary. Position for, for Canadian real
1: estate. Well, this, oh, this is fascinating. So, you, the average loan that people get is about five years fixed. Yeah, five yeah. year
2: fixed is the is the typically the standard term. And the average on a
1: thirty year term, term amortization term, uh, fifth,
0: or, uh, likely twenty five. Yeah, so the most common mortgage okay. product would be a five year fixed, twenty five year amortization. I believe like over fifty percent of Canadian mortgage holders have have that rate right now. And Dan, what, you were just going to mention the average and rate. I think is in the the mid threes at this point.
2: Yeah, low threes. I actually think it's pi, three point one four. average Average interest rate in Canada right now is like three point one four percent. And so, current interest rate of a five year fixed mortgage term is five point five percent, let's say give or take. So, even if you're to just assume a perfect statistical distribution of a five year mortgage term, if every if one fifth of the population needs to renew every year over the next five years, you have a doubling almost doubling of the capital cost of everybody in the economy over the next five years, so this takes a long time for the pain to go away in Canada, both to manifest first and then go away
1: Wow, I mean we're seeing that obviously in commercial real estate in America because it generally uh, they are shorter term loans as well yeah. and they're coming due, and they're having to refinance into much higher rates and and we're going to we're concerned about some commercial property here but in residential yeah most people are locked into 30 year fixed people don't tend to keep the 30 year fixed they keep it about 8 to 10 years uh so a 10 year would be fine but if you don't want to have to refi or sell after 10 years you don't have to you're most most people are in the 30 year fixed i'm not at all worried about residential because of that but commercial's a different mm-hmm. story so how do you think it's going to affect Canadian real estate, as you all kind of go through this process of being forced to
2: refinance into higher rates, I think that unless unless the housing market is and and all the real estate market, I mean, we just don't have as much commercial real estate activity as you. Like our, our economy is very much housing and built in the construction of housing. I, I think it's just it's going to be a long winter for for Canadian real estate. Um, I think it just takes a long time for the true impact of what's going on, unless rates come down materially, which I don't necessarily think. I mean, unless like so I think if if rates come back down to where they were, we have far bigger problems to worry about, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, how much pressure can the Bank of Canada really ease on on the average homeowner? I guess we're about to find out. Um I mean, they, they we paused, and today's the FOMC meeting for the for the U.S. So. I'm assuming Powell's either going to pause or come or go up 25 basis points. The bank of Canada is kind of backed up to, to a cliff where it's basically like if they deviate too much from the fed, then the Canadian dollar gets destroyed. And if they don't, if they, if they keep hiking, then the Canadian economy gets destroyed because people are spending all their money servicing mortgages. So I think this is just a recession and probably a pretty bad one for the next little bit for, for Canada. Um, Wow,
1: with 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 values going down, you think as a result of that?
2: It's tough to say. I mean, values have been kind of strong actually. Like they've actually started recovering a little bit. Like they came down massively last year. Like year over year, we saw the biggest price drop we've ever seen. I think so. Basically, as bad as like nineteen eighty one when rates went to eighteen percent, or nineteen eighty nine when when prices came off during that recession. So I don't know. I think most of the pain is probably behind us. I think recession could probably. It could you could start seeing more and more of those distressed sellers, but if we're in a recession, you know, re- like recession has a one hundred percent success rate of solving inflation, right? So the sooner we get to recession, the sooner inflation gets back to the neutral range, the sooner rates can start coming down. Now, all of a sudden, we've got recovery, and and you know, once you start putting more buying power into people's pockets, the thing about Canada is like there's so many people who they want to go to the U.S. to invest because they can't afford to do it in Canada. There's so many buyers just like waiting on the sidelines who have been marginalized over the past several years. So I think, you know, event like in the fullness of time, prices will recover, but there's definitely some short term pain.
0: Yeah. And it's tough as well because I think a lot of it is is a moving target, right? I mean, who could have predicted SVB and signature and and credit suisse and and the effects that they're going to be having on the global economy and, and global real estate and and different asset classes, right? I mean. I think another interesting phenomenon that we're seeing is is baby boomers, which I'd love to touch on for a hot second because they, you know, make up such a, a large portion of the population. They hold so much money at whether an equity in their homes that they bought twenty, thirty years ago. And I'm dealing with several clients like this. Dan and I work together. We're dealing with several clients and actually even some family members that are now selling their much larger home. And moving into a smaller home that they're downsizing into, but they're buying it mortgage free. So we're seeing a lot of baby boomers move into these new assets, smaller kind of downsized assets, but moving into them mortgage free, leaving these expensive larger homes to be purchased by essentially upper class, upper middle class Canadians. Basically the only ones that can afford to go get, you know, a, a million dollar plus two million dollar mortgage kind of thing. And then we're also seeing those same baby boomers give their kids, gift their kids anywhere from one hundred to $200,000 in order for them to get started in the housing market. So, you know, housing's becoming, unfortunately, a little bit of a luxury for Canadians, whether you're just a, a, an end user or an investor.
1: Oh, I think that's true in America these days, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, more and more people, I think it was 15 million people, were priced out of the market when rates went up or when rates doubled. Yeah.
2: I think it's yeah, it kind of that gradual progression into a, a renter's economy, right? Like you see this in Europe, mm-hmm. they're farther along in their housing cycles than we are. And, you know, the majority or that you see homeownership in decline and more and more investor and institutional ownership. I mean, it creates opportunity for people like us who want to invest in real estate and create housing in rental. And I think the reality is, as Generations get less and less handy. Homeownership is probably not a good fit for a lot of people. Like I know, a lot of people in, in, in the millennial generation shouldn't be homeowners because, like, they, it's just going to cost them too much or 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 take too much time and, and stress and energy. So, nothing wrong with a transition into a renters economy. It's just you have to if if that's what we think is happening, we have to create an investment thesis based on what that looks like.
0: Yeah, and just to add to that, it is sad to
1: me though. I mean, wealth is built through real estate yeah, and homeowners have the highest net net worth because of of the, mostly because of the equity equity gain in their home. So it's it's sad to me that there would be a whole generation that doesn't have that, except a lot of that generation is going to get that from their parents yeah. when they pass on. There's a huge amount of wealth passing on from baby boomers to to millennials and Gen Z at some point, but uh, Nick, what were I was gonna just gonna say?
0: say, I feel like that is, I mean, one, I completely agree, right? The, the late stage housing economy, um, and, re- and renting isn't easy these days either, because if you look at the rental rates in the most desirable places to live in Canada—Vancouver, uh, Montreal, Toronto, GTA—and and the surrounding areas in those major cities, the rental rates are, are crazy. I mean, you're paying thousands. You know, I think the average is twenty five hundred dollars for a one bedroom. So. Realistically, you know, that, that is more than a mortgage payment, but people can't qualify for that down payment. You know, back to, back to the baby boomers as, as far as trends go and, and opportunities, cause, uh, you know, I do want to talk about opportunities in to how to invest into real estate. There is, there's, there's going to be a massive opportunity in, in probably several different opportunities under this umbrella in moving those baby boomers into downsizing communities. So whether that's buying and renovating homes specifically, four people 65, 70 plus, whatever, um, helping them with that transition, figuring out you know how to place families in those houses that they left. I think that's probably going to be a major trend and, and I think we're going to see lots of uh, hopefully lots of innovation come around on, on on how to actually manage that process.
1: Yeah, you know we talked about Canadians buying in America, which has happened we Canadians have been
2: huge buyers in America.
1: Had you seen Americans buying in Canada, and it sounds like they're not even allowed to at this point?
2: Yeah, so the, it would fit within the probably the most common type of property that Americans are buying in Canada is recreational property. So you saw like a lot of that in like uh, Banff, like ski communities, Muskoka mm-hmm. communities, yeah. Yeah. Whistler, and, and that's still exempt. So there's it's funny because there's a ton of exemptions. It, it, it's basically that um, foreign investors can't buy property to rent to like some. Multi, and it's created a lot of pro, uh, problems for the commercial real estate space like they're already trying to actually change the policy because a lot of foreign own owner a lot of commercial real estate owners are, are foreign institutions you know uh, multinational corporations so just a mess of government who just really doesn't have any idea how the whole thing works which is a shame but um I think it, I
1: think politicians should have to take some finance classes. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, honestly, like, or economics, like it's just crazy to me that in Canada, it's, it's, you really have a very clear, there's a war being fought right now between monetary and fiscal policy. Like literally like there, there's inflationary tax and then deflation monetary policy. That's trying to deflate that. Like, gas is like the biggest contributor or was one of the biggest contributors to inflation. And we're adding a carbon tax to it as an example, which is fine. Like I get it for environmental purposes, but if you want inflation to come down, you can't increase the cost of something. Right. So just crazy, crazy. Just from an, they just don't, don't, they dismiss that the, the economy is a thing. Right.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really interesting hearing you talk from a different country, different government, same, same Same story. It feels like
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I know, I know, like, I mean, cause I think I I follow you on Twitter and there was a comment that you'd made about like the 1031, like you guys are having some, 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 I think the government's sort of looking at that again and examining it. And it's like, why don't we, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I suppose, in certain things. Right. But I, mm-hmm. so I, I just, I haven't really grasped where we're focusing our energy politically in, in, in much of the yeah. Western world right now.
0: And just on that note, yeah, 1031s I mean it, are another thing that unfortunately we don't have up here in, in Canada.
2: Really? Nope.
0: Yeah. Another thing we're, we're Although, we jealously... We have, like, because
2: do you, no, but do you, do you guys pay uh, tax on primary residence equity in most cases, like when you sell a primary residence?
1: Uh, if you have lived in it for two out of the last five years, and if you're married, you get $500,000 tax free gain if you're single 250,000, but you have to have lived in it for two years. Do you have anything like that?
2: Well, our, our primary residence is tax exempt. So, um, no
1: matter what, no matter how much equity,
2: like you only can do one of those and it has to be a, you have to have lived in it for one year. Um, but I think that that's sort of like, that's probably our only tax exemption really. Okay. Yeah.
1: But if you sell an investment property, you pay capital you pay taxable,
2: yeah. Yeah. And there's And no how much is everyone. your capital gain? It's uh it'd be like 20 it's about 26% I think, so it's it's half of okay. it, you pay whatever your marginal tax rate is, so you pay income tax on 50% of the capital gain. So for somebody in the, you know, if you're if you're realizing capital gain, it usually puts you in the top tax bracket, so it ends up being the highest tax rate that you would pay is 26%. It's not
0: fun. It's a big chunk of money. So
1: I'm cur- I'm cu- I'm curious because the argument here has always been, you can't remove the 1031 because it will stop investor activity, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't, that it hasn't really been the case in Canada.
2: Well, it depends on like, like I actually think that most of our activity that you would call it in, in the space, like investors shouldn't be active per se. Like I think, Investing is passive in real estate, at least, right? So like we shouldn't be realizing, like, I think if you're, if, if the bulk of the investment activity is happening from transaction of real estate, not from holding of real estate, that's more spec, a speculative market. And so in Canada, um, it doesn't slow it. It certainly doesn't slow it, but it has become more of a speculative vehicle. And a lot of people are really using the primary residents to speculate. Like our housing ladder is a very, very high turnover people will buy a house and then they're, I think like, what was it? The average, the most recent average was like three years. Yeah. We're selling, Pe- right? People so,
0: move every three years. Know, it, it was,
2: yeah. And so, you know, housing speculation is very much a thing. And the, the challenge is it got us away from like re- true yield investing for probably the past decade or two. Um, hmm. and, and, and so I don't, I don't know. Like I, I would say from the argument perspective that you're saying tax doesn't, doesn't really I don't think it's going to kill it it would just it could just create greater incentive for people to hold that asset create social value through providing rental property and create income and yield and it would just change the way that we have to invest could actually like for in Canada right now we're seeing record low inventory and it's kind of propped up the housing market and one of the re- reasons for that is because switching costs are so high people don't have an incentive to 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 move or sell because of tax um mm-hmm it forces you to invest a little bit more sensibly, I think. What about inheritance tax? Uh, We do have a probate. So basically you do have to pay tax on, and, and in most cases, people end up selling houses out of inheritance because they often can't afford it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's what I was just going to say. That's, that's one of the, the things with uh, American real estate, where if your children inherit the property, the value steps up to the current market value, and they don't have to pay tax on it.
2: So, oh, so they 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 would get reset. I mean, yeah, that's amazing. It
1: gets reset. It's another yeah. win for it's
2: you guys. Kind of a f-
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think people here really realize the power of
2: that. Well, that's good. Well, they will once the, all the baby boomers start dying off and giving everybody properties. Cause like that, like, and yeah. maybe and it could be one of those low hanging fruit. If the government decides they need to start getting some revenue, that might be where they go after it. Right. Cause that's what our government's looking at right now is they're saying, Oh, everybody's flipping houses. Let's start monetizing that. They're just, they're drooling right. trying to figure out how they can make money off of us.
1: Always looking, looking for a place. Okay. So just from an outsider's perspective, when you look in on, <laughs> America or down on America, mm-hmm. how, how whatever you do up there in Canada we, I when you're up to uh, yeah. America, at least the houses. Awesome, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, what's it? What's it been like from your perspective to just watch what's going on here over the past, I don't know, five years, six years? Because from our per- perspective, it's been um, very volatile.
2: Right, Nick. I'll let you take that one, maybe, and
0: then I. Yeah, go. for sure. I mean, I think it's it's funny because you know canadians are 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 obsessed with housing and and extremely dependent on the american economy uh whereas americans have many other options to invest and, and to create wealth outside of real estate whereas canadians don't really and most americans don't care or really know anything about canada i don't want to bottle everyone up into the same batch but uh you know if
2: a smaller GDP. Oh, why would they? Like statistically, it's literally less than California on both GDP and population. So.
0: Exactly right. So when mm-hmm. Dan referenced earlier that our population grew by over a million, I mean that is substantial for us, right? You know, I, I think my perspective will be different than the average Canadian. Uh, you know, I've I've looked to America and and specifically in the housing market, um, and and essentially tried to follow the lead that you guys have, you know, and tried to adapt the strategies and everything and. and put them in, inside our, our markets here. Obviously it doesn't work as well having, you know, different, uh, lending practices, not having vehicles like the 1031 exchange to, to optimize trading and whatnot. But I don't think I'll be able to provide a good explanation as to what the average Canadian is, is looking at. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, if there's volatility there, there's volatility here because, you know, we're, we're little brother, right? We, uh, we essentially, follow you guys' lead. If you guys get in trouble, we get in trouble. <laughs> Jump in here, Dan. If you got anything to add to that,
2: yeah, I, I think like the perspective, at least from from myself and the circles that I uh, am in, is that you know it just seems like a much healthier, more balanced, and and well functioning economy. Like I think that it's mo- a more true iteration of what you would call maybe capitalism um, in the states than in Canada. In Canada, I think we have a, like a, a you know and i'm not saying this as a criticism but it's a more socialistic economy like you look at the way that it is in comparison to a lot of scandinavian countries or whatever the challenge is running a scandinavian model on a landmass the size of canada the economics just don't work as well and i think in the states like there's a lot more opportunity for people who want to invest in real estate and that's why a lot of our listeners want to invest in 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 the us economy and like nick said it's also a lot more opportune to invest in business or to grow a business in canada people don't grow businesses because why would they they might as well put their money into a primary residence get that tax free gain and just service their mortgage over you know however long it is and so we don't have research and development we have very little money going into innovation whereas in the states you know everybody in the world wants to go there it's it's so good at attracting the top global talent because capital goes to the right places there's efficient allocation of capital and even when you're describing real estate investing, like there's actually a real scope of real estate investing, whereas in Canada real estate investing basically means housing investing or and and so that's the big thing from my perspective is there's just opportunity like that you don't see in the Canadian market south of the border and it's it's almost like an, an envy or a jealousy i would say is is what most people feel towards
0: yeah i investing in this well dan on that on that Twitter space last week you know when the uh when some of the prominent Americans were like, cause we were, we were mentioning, you know, one of the biggest bull cases for Canada that if you're involved in the Canadian real estate community up here, you've, you've heard this time and time again is, you know, immigration is going to save us. Well, you know, immigration is just one thing. And if we don't have anywhere for these immigrants to live or to rent, well, they're likely not to stay. And I, I might have been mm-hmm. Grant or, or someone else on, on the panel that, that night, but. We know when we brought that up, they they kind of chuckled it off and were like, Yeah, well Canada's just a window to the states. Right. So you're just kinda of like, you know, they they I've just pictured us peering over into like the state's backyard and be like, okay, how do we get there? And I feel, you know, that is a concern for me that we've you know, we've got hundreds of thousands, millions of immigrants landing in Canada over the next few years. Well, that's fantastic. But what kind of infrastructure are they gonna come are they gonna arrive to, right? We talked about new sewer systems new bridges new roads new subdivisions where is that going to come from and how fast can we produce that kind of stuff and if we can't well then those hundreds of thousands of millions of people that we have brought into this country to try to start a new life if they can't start that new life and it's harder for them here than it was from where they came from they might start to look at you know a lot of the northern states as A much better option because housing is, you know, you can buy something in, in Michigan for a hundred thousand bucks and it's, and it's livable and you can walk in and and move in. Whereas you can't do that anywhere. I mean, there's hundred thousand dollar parking spots in Toronto. That's, that's about all you're getting for a hundred grand up here.
1: That's an interesting that we might steal your immigrants. Is that what you're saying? I I, I don't know if (laughs) steal.
0: I I just think, I just think they might be disincentivized to, to stay. Right. I mean, if we're, if we're, if, you know, if the promise is come here, it's Canada will, you know, better life. Better economy, all that good stuff. Well, a lot of that is true, but you know, over the next several years, if that stuff starts to fail and becomes kind of glaringly obvious, I mean, I think the stat is immigrants land in rent for for three years. So you know, that kind of gives us a bit of essentially, you know, a three year window to figure out how the hell to start building millions of homes. And I believe we have uh, something in Canada, CMHC, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. They put a lot, a lot of studies and, and one, of them's, one of them recently was, I think we need like 8.5 million homes to be built by 2030, which is just an impossible wow. task. You know, even, even hitting half of that is, is impossible. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, all moving target, feel like we're, you know, consistently kicking that can down the road again. Uh, you think we'd learned our lesson by now, but uh, apparently not.
2: I think like uh, the reality is it just it manifests in you know Canada is predicted to be the the lowest performing advanced economy in the OECD over the next twenty and forty years. So the reality is like it, it's not even kicking the can down the road. It's like we're dealing with the consequence. The consequence is just your economy doesn't grow in a meaningful way. Like we just become this residential area, right? Like really, and a resource <laughs> playground for a smarter economy, which is you know right now you have. Like Canada is, it's one of the wealthiest natural resource economies in the world, and we don't even know how to make money off of our own resources. So you know, American companies come in and do that for us, and they sell us our own electricity back and whatever it is, and that's that's fine. But like, it's just it's funny. It's a funny real real iteration of what you know you were asking is like what people in Canada think of America. It's like you guys actually know how to do business.
1: Oh, that's fascinating, and hopefully uh, some of the young people in in America are listening to this because. There is a sentiment, an anti-America sentiment going around. I think that's kind of common. I mean, it, I grew up in the sixties and that was pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty much common for young people to want to rebel against their society. But I, I think the important thing is to go travel, go see what, what it's like in other places versus in America and every, everybody, every country has their challenges. I do agree with you this is one of the places where it, it can be much easier to start a business or to invest in real estate.
2: Yeah, I think what you're describing as well like that kind of that um, disenfranchised feeling that a lot of like people feel it's um, described pretty well in a book called The Fourth Turning. I'm not sure if you've read that book, but uh, he's actually no. doing an update on it. Yeah, I think he's mm. he's doing an, an update on that book uh, this year. It's basically like this generational theory of like cycles and basically how people feel, and you kind of when you come to the end of that, people don't trust the government. They don't f- feel a strong sense of like faith in their country and economy and whatever. And on on the next side of that is like this beautiful rebuilding of this global psyche. So hopefully that that's correct, and we we end up going through that. But yeah, it does feel it feels like that in Canada too. A lot of people are just. I, I think it's kind of just. Indicative of where we are economically, yeah. right? Like things kind of suck right now, and
0: people I, people be,
2: are behaving as. Uh,
0: and I don't even think I don't think it's just Canada and America. I think literally there's there's frustrated people globally, right? I mean, look at what we've gone through in the last couple of years, the way that governments have hand, handled it, the way that the economy has responded, and and the kind of several year hangover that we're going to find ourselves in from you know the free money party that that we just had. It'll be interesting times. And I think that, you know, that sentiment is really unfortunate because sentiment and, and consumer confidence drives so much of the economy, right? It's almost that chicken and egg. What, what came first, right? The recession or the sentiment that caused it. And then now there, there is a recession. The sentiment gets worse. And going back to Dan's point, you know, how far do we have to drive that sentiment and consumer confidence down until it breaks, until people are so frustrated that some, you know, something breaks and then, and then we're able to go and, and start that rebuild.
1: Yeah, it's part of part of the process. The the yeah, cycles, exactly. And and for investors, usually at this point in the cycle is when when they can dive back in again, and and hopefully people learn how to do that. The masses generally dive into investing at the top. <laughs> they come in at the top of Bitcoin, at the top of real
0: estate, at the top of. We don't everything. call those investors. Yeah, investors. We don't call those investors. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, it's it's the masses and and really the investors find this to be the time to be able to get back in the game when everybody's scared. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining me here today. And I do hope to get up there to some of that awesome skiing that you guys got up there.
0: (laughs) Let us know when you're coming up.
1: And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. I hope this gave you some great insight on why U.S. real estate is still so affordable compared to other countries and why we have the best lending environment and tax benefits compared to other countries. If you look at it from a real estate investor perspective, it's why I'm addicted. You can find out more at realwealthshow.com. When you're there, you can join. It's free and you'll get access to hundreds of webinars, again, on tax benefits, asset protection, lending, and all the things that make real estate such a great investment. I'm Kathy Feke. Thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. We'll see you next time.